This morning, um, we're going to look at Psalm 42. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me uh, to Psalm 42. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some in the back, so feel free to, to get up and, and grab. Or if you have an app that has a Bible, feel free to pull out your phone and pretend like you're texting. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan Keenan, and I serve as the RUF campus minister at uh, UCSB. And so we are um, finishing up our winter quarter and about to head into the spring quarter. And so life as a campus minister um, is busy and strange and um, full of great joy, and I love what I get to do, and I always want to thank this congregation for your support and ways in which you pray for us and care for our students, so um, thank you. really do appreciate that. So as you turn to Psalm 42, before we read, um, are you familiar with the website Post Secret? Um, probably not. Um, some of you might be familiar with it. It was a, it was a website that was started years ago. Um, this guy kind of had this crazy idea that he wanted people to send in their homemade postcards. So people would make up homemade postcards and they would send it into this particular address and they would post the postcards online over the weekend, typically on on Sunday. But there was one caveat. Uh, You had to, um, on your postcard, confess something that you've never confessed to anyone, but you had to do it anonymously. And Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people started to send in these postcards. So much so that they've actually turned uh, a lot of these postcards into books. Multiple books, actually, that you can actually purchase um, at your local bookshop. And the anonymous postcards, I mean, they just ranged from the hilarious. So there there was one that I read about a wife who confessed that she would oftentimes put her her husband's clothes into the charity pile without him knowing it because she didn't have the heart to tell him that his, his taste in clothing stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so you had kind of the funny ones. Um, you had some of the more frightening ones um, where a lady confessed that she gave up a child for adoption 25 years ago only to have that child find her later on, and she confessed that she wished after she had met her child that she had had the abortion instead. You have, you know, the heartbreak where one student confessed, sometimes I wish I would die under tragic circumstances while I'm still young so that people would remember Everything that I could have been, instead of growing older and failing to live up to the expectations that others have set for me. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people send in anonymously these postcards confessing things that they've never confessed before. And the question is, is why? I mean, why would people spend time crafting their own postcards to send into a website confessing hurts and thoughts that are evil and, I mean, just 
running the gamut of emotions? It's a very interesting question, and, and, I, and I want to believe that the reason why is because people are looking for change. Um, they want freedom from their burdens. That's why we confess our sins every week here. It's because we want change. We want freedom from the burdens that weigh us down. Um, one writer said that confession is the gateway to change. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and absolute vulnerability before God. Psalm 42 is an honest confession. It's a brutal, honest confession. And it's a confession about the struggles and complexities of the human heart. The reality that life is difficult, that there's heartache and struggle, that life can really be hard at times. Psalm 42, in many ways, is a prayer, it's a lament. And it's a, it's a prayer and a lament that I believe every single one of us in here can relate to on some level. One writer said that the Psalms, that when you look into the Psalms, it's like a mirror. You end up seeing yourself. And so my prayer for us this morning before we read is that as we look at Psalm 42, that this might become your prayer and your lament, especially if you find yourself here this morning struggling, going through some sort of difficulty or trial, that this prayer would actually be your prayer this morning. Psalm 42, give your attention to the reading of God's Word. To the choir master a maskal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I, would go without the how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we consider it this morning. 
Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you uh, that we are in your house, and we are worshiping you and praising you, and sometimes that can be an, an incredibly difficult task, especially as we've just read from Psalm 42, especially when our souls are in turmoil, when there's downcast, when there's distress. But we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that it is in your hymn book that you've given us to use as a prayer and a lament to vocalize our hurts and our struggles. And so, Lord Jesus, as we work our way through this psalm, we pray that we would see no man but Jesus only. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would comfort us in, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials, wherever we are, we pray that you would come and, and administer your grace and your steadfast love to us. So would you do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Dan Allender uh, wrote kind of a, an overview of the book of Psalms, and I believe it was in your bulletin, a quote, and he says this, it's a, it's a book called The Cry of the Soul. He says, the Psalms help us articulate and understand what we feel, but they also dare us to struggle. Even more, they give us words to vocalize our deepest struggles with the Lord. The psalmist felt and publicly expressed the gamut of emotions from hurt to fury, from desire to vengeance, to contempt against God. How comforting to know that we are not alone when we ache with loneliness, burn with anger, tremble with fear. Someone before us has faced these emotions and in the midst of that conflict has learned to love God. And I, I feel like that quote really gets at the heart of Psalm 42. It's a beautiful picture um, that the journey that we're on in this life, it's a spiritual journey, and Psalm 42 has often been read as a spiritual journey, but with a struggle, with a limp. That the journey that we're on, because we live in a fallen and broken world, it's hard, and it's difficult, and oftentimes Psalm 42 has been read in light in midst of that spiritual struggle, that it's difficult. But the progression of the psalm, has, it goes from questions to doubts to confusion to struggle to in the end where the psalmist learns to praise God and love him again. And so that's my prayer for us this morning as we kind of work our way through this is that at the end, we too might have our hope in God and praise him again. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at two things. I want to look at the struggle of the human soul, the struggle of the human heart, and then I want to consider the God in the midst of the struggle, and then maybe some so what at the end. So first, the struggle of the human soul. What does this journey of spiritual struggle look like? Why is it so difficult at times? Did you notice that throughout this psalm, the psalmist he uses the word soul over six times. It's like he's having a one-on-one -on -one with himself. It's, a, it's like a personal counseling session. He's talking to himself about his soul, about the struggles, about the difficulties. 
And what we learn is that the soul, the heart, the seat of, of our emotions, it's an inc- we're incredibly complex people, aren't we? And we all struggle differently. But we all struggle. We all have unique struggles. And there are all sorts of things from the inside and the outside that create the struggle, the conflict, the confusion, the pain. And so, what do we learn about the struggle? And I, and I think that the psalmist is showing us that he's struggling for two things. The first thing is he's struggling for thirst. Did you notice in verses 1 and 2, we see that the soul can become dehydrated. Souls become thirsty. Notice what he says in verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him again? The one thing that the psalmist knows is that God is the only one who can rehydrate his soul. But the psalmist also knows that there are many things in this life that are vying for our attention. Our souls have longings, desires. There's things that you live for, things that you would be willing to die for. One friend of mine put it like this, we do what we do because we love what we love. That's the soul. And the psalmist is showing us that so oftentimes our souls are thirsty. They become dehydrated. In other words, the psalmist is showing us that there are many things in our souls, good things, that in themselves will not satisfy our thirst. Jeremy Huggins wrote an essay on beauty, and he said this. He said, imagine God appeared to you and offered you this. I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you anything and everything you ask, pleasure, power, honor, wealth, freedom, even peace of mind and a good conscience. Nothing will be a sin, nothing will be forbidden, nothing will be impossible for you. You will never be bored and you will never die. All right? Sounds like a pretty good deal. Wouldn't you agree? Here's the one caveat. God says, but you will never see my face. And I want you to understand what the psalmist is giving us a picture of. The psalmist is saying that despite all apparent joys offered to us in this life, The only real desire of our heart is to see and behold the face of God. Literally in verse 2, the psalmist says, When shall I come and appear before the face of God? We may not know it, but God is the cause of our homesickness. His face is home. He alone is the one who satisfies our thirsty souls. He alone is the one who rehydrates us back to health. All other aspirations, all joys, pleasures, things offered to you in this life are just echoes, as C.S. Lewis called them, of the thing or the person that you were created for. So the first struggle that the psalmist shows us is that we struggle for thirst. But the second thing he struggles for is rest. 
There is this refrain throughout the psalm, if you noticed, that his soul is downcast. His soul is in, is in turmoil. He's up day and night feeding on his tears. He's wondering if he's ever going to make it back to Jerusalem to worship in the temple with the other saints. Verse 9 shows us that there is an outside conflict, that his enemy is constant and relentlessly attacking him. And so his soul is downcast and there's turmoil and there is no rest for him at all. And the effects of sin and living in a fallen and broken world means that all of us, on some level, are distressed and our souls are in turmoil. All of us have unique stories of brokenness. No one is immune from the fall. And I want you to think about your story this morning. Christian and non-Christian, we all have similar stories. I mean, some of you here this morning, you've experienced rejection. Like, you know what it feels like when your parents have gone through a divorce. Or your spouse has cheated on you. Or a friend has abandoned you. And you know the pain of loneliness. I mean, some of you here, you wonder if, if there's ever going to be someone who is going to appreciate what you do, notice you, but you remain deeply fragile and insecure because so far no one showed up. Some of you have been deeply wounded. Wounded in ways that we should not even speak about this morning. And you know what it feels like to have your tears be your food both day and night. Some of you are unsure about the future. Seniors, whether you're in high school or college, you're wondering if there's a job at the end of graduation. A job that's going to help pay off the debt <laughs> that you've incurred either at Westmont or UCSB or City College. Some of you are just deeply anxious about the state of our nation. You're afraid to read the latest headlines because it just causes worry and anxiety. Some of you in here long to get pregnant. And it's a struggle. And the pain of waiting or miscarriages, it just leads you to say, like the psalmist, God, why have you forgotten me? Every single one of us have unique stories of brokenness, the ways in which this fallen world has infected us and affects us. All of us in this room, we struggle because this world isn't the way it's supposed to be. The psalmist, he's looking 
for something to satisfy his soul. He's looking for rest from the weariness, just being beaten down by the brokenness of this world. So what do we do with that? There are many ways that I can aim this, and I've chosen one. And it comes through a Canadian tire production company. You're wondering, what on earth? A Canadian tire company ran an advertisement. They were a sponsor for the um, Rio Olympics. And it was a commercial that they ran. And the commercial starts out where a bunch of boys, probably 12, 13-year-olds, are playing basketball in a driveway. About five or six of them playing, you know, two-on-two, three-on-three, something like that. And one of them misses a shot, and the ball rolls kind of away from the goal to where he sees, where the boy runs after the ball, and he sees a couple of the houses, and he sees a boy cross the street on his porch in a wheelchair. Picks up the ball, looks at him, kind of takes notice of him, and then he runs back, and they keep playing. And it shows you the boy on the wheelchair, he kind of looks a bit sad and downcast. The next day, or the next scene, is the front porch of the boy with the wheelchair, and there's a basketball. So the boy picks up the basketball, and he rolls himself, or wheels himself, over to the house, because he was watching the boys play basketball. He wheels himself over there, and the next scene you see is all the boys from the previous day, they're playing basketball, but they're playing basketball in their own makeshift wheelchairs. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what the church is called to be and do. Every single one of us in here have unique struggles. Unique stories, ways in which the world is, is difficult and hard on us. And our job as the church is to come up with makeshift wheelchairs so that we can identify with one another and to announce to one another this one thing. You are not alone in the struggle. And we are here for you. Isn't that the beautiful reality of Psalm 42? That here the psalmist is confessing his painful secrets. And those broken realities weren't left out of Scripture, but they were kept in. Which is broadcasting to you and to me this morning that you and me were not alone in the struggle. The struggle of the human soul. But what about the God in the midst of the struggle? There's some pretty unbelievable things that we learn about the character and nature of God, and I just want to draw our attention to one of them. Look again at verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love over you. That word in the Hebrew is one of the richest words in all of the Old Testament. It's the word chesed, which is always fun to say. And it literally means God's un, 
wavering, unending, unrelenting commitment and love to his people. In other words, the great promise that we see about the God in the midst of the struggle is that God is more committed to you than you are to him. He's more faithful to you than you ever will be to him. Because he has commanded that his steadfast love rule over you in the midst of the struggle. His unending, unwavering, unrelenting love is over you in the midst of the struggle. A couple years ago, a book came out called Lone Survivor. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's a story about the four Navy SEALs who were in Afghanistan, and they got ambushed by the Taliban, and and three of them died, and and there was the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell. And he's, as the story goes, he's constantly on the run from the Taliban, hiding out. He's injured. He's going through bouts of dehydration. It's a crazy, crazy story. But the most remarkable thing is when he comes along, he comes to an, an Afghan village, and some local... Afghanistan, Afghanis take him in and they start taking care of him and they rehydrate him and they they bind up his wounds. And he's wondering the whole time, why is this village taking me in? And he came to learn that the head of the village, the leader of the village had enacted a 2,000 year ancient tradition. And if there are any Afghanistan folks here, I'm going to butcher what it's called, but I'm just going to use the English version, Loki. And what it was, it literally means a giving of the pot. And what it means was if, if someone, a foreigner, a sojourner, a stranger was to come into their village and they enacted Loki, what that meant was that they would undertake all the responsibilities to protect and save that individual. And Marcus realized that the head of this village had enacted Loki. And so these Afghan people in this village, they undertook all the responsibilities to protect him and keep him safe. So much so that they themselves began to fight the Taliban. And some of them lost their lives protecting Marcus Luttrell. That gets, Loki gets at the idea of chesed. That God has undertaken all the responsibilities to redeem and rescue and save and protect his people. Why? Because he loves you. He's enacted his steadfast love over you. He's committed to you. In the midst of the struggle, he's commanded his steadfast love to rule over you. So how do we begin to trust and believe that God has commanded his steadfast love to rule over us in the midst of the struggle. How do we know that's true? Jesus had a hymn book, and it was the Psalms. And Jesus would have sung Psalm 42 often. But what's so remarkable about Psalm 42 is that Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's literally about to be overtaken by his enemies, when he's about to be abandoned by his disciples, his closest friends, when his father is about to pour out his wrath on him, you know Jesus quotes Psalm 42. 
He says, my soul is downcast. It's sorrowful even unto death. Now, why is that so important for us? Because God, through the person of Jesus Christ, He enters into our suffering and our sorrow and our heartache because God is committed to rescuing, redeeming, securing, protecting, and saving His people. And the way He does it is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When God commands His steadfast love to rule over us, that isn't an abstract, impersonal command. No. It is a personal command. And God shows you His commitment by giving up His Son, the Lord Jesus. And so you can trust and believe that the steadfast love of God rules over you in the midst of the struggle when you see Jesus hanging on a tree. And He's up there for you and for me. So what do we do with this? How can we apply that this morning? Two ways. One, I think the psalmist here is modeling for us how we vocalize our struggles to God. The psalmist is giving us a voice. So oftentimes, if you find yourself in the desert, in the places of heartache and sorrow, you don't know what to say to God. And here the psalmist is modeling for you and for me a way to vocalize our hurts and our cries and the pain and the sorrow. He's modeling for us how to confess to God our deepest secrets. It's a prayer. But he's also modeling for us that in the midst of vocalizing those hurts, you can learn to trust God and believe him. But the second thing, the psalmist is pushing us in the midst of the struggle to see that there is no lasting hope other than God himself. There's no other person that you can turn to And have your soul find rest and have your soul find your thirst satisfied than God alone. The psalmist is inviting you and me this morning to lean in to Jesus more and more in the midst of the struggle. He's inviting us to recognize that Jesus really is our rock. And in Him alone, do we find refuge and rest? So my invitation for you this morning is this. Wherever you are, lean into Jesus this morning and you will find your soul to be satisfied and you will find your soul to finally find rest. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know everyone in here has unique stories of brokenness and heartache and sorrow. And you know how some of us, it's hard for us to get out of bed in the morning. Some of us have learned over the years that the struggle does create a place in our hearts to lean into you. You've matured us in those ways. And others of us just find it impossible. So wherever we are this morning in the midst of the struggle and the complexities of our own souls, would you meet us? Would you show us that that even if we can't lean into you, that you actually lean towards us and that you're more committed to us and more faithful to us than we are to you? 
that you've commanded your steadfast love over us. And it's a song that's in our hearts that disrupts the worry and the anxiety and the fears and the sorrow. So would you come and would you meet us where we are by your grace and by your mercy. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.